1 Kings 22, you can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. Has anybody in here learned that? Has anybody tried to hide from Him and found you can't? No? Okay. Well, good. You have tried to hide from Him. Okay. <laughs> First Kings twenty two. And we will jump over into Second Kings next. We're in the last chapter of First Kings. Anybody got one? <coughs> Go ahead and cut off those phones too. Or silence them. Okay, let's pick up reading in verse 1. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of uh, Chenanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, 
Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lion's spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lion's spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, the Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. 
Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. On November the 14th, 1874, the American evangelist Dwight L. Moody stood up to a hall that was packed with students at Oxford University in England. Uh, Moody was a powerful speaker, but he was uneducated, and when he spoke, uh, he spoke with poor grammar and what the British laughed at as very poor English. Well, he had just come from Cambridge University where the students had mocked his grammar there and laughed at his accent and done everything they could do to disrupt his meetings. But God's Spirit had moved in their midst in a mighty way and hundreds of students at Cambridge were saved. Well, the students at Oxford had no intention of being outdone in their mocking by their rivals at Cambridge. And so uh, they decided they'd put this American evangelist in his place. When he got up, when Moody got up to read the Bible, they began to stomp and shout and jeer. Moody closed his Bible. He leaned over the pulpit and he said, you jeered at the hymns and I said nothing. You jeered at the prayers and I said nothing. But now you jeer at the word of God. I would rather play with forked lightning or meddle with the most deadly disease than to trifle with the word of God. We may mock the word of God. We may ignore it. But one thing is for certain, we will, we will never silence it. We will never beat it. We will never get away from the blessings and the curses that we read about in it will not escape the Word of God. And that's what Ahab discovers in this chapter. You remember how Elijah, the Tishbite, had prophesied against him and said he was going to die and the dogs were going to lick up his blood. You remember that? And what do we see happening in this chapter? Folks, we see that God does not lie. Uh, he's already said that Ahab would be judged, that he would die. Uh, we saw last week that Ahab repented uh, for a short period of time, and, and God gave him a little bit of a respite. God gave him a little bit longer. God was merciful to him a little while longer. But judgment delayed does not mean judgment denied. We're going to see tonight that God always has the last word. First thing I want you to see tonight is inquiring of the Lord. We're only going to have two points tonight, inquiring of the Lord and, and reaping from the Lord. But inquiring of the Lord, look at what's going on in the first 28 verses. Uh, chapter 22 opens and we see that apparently the land has been enjoying a certain amount of peace. And yet there's something on Ahab's heart that's really bothering him. It's been apparently just kind of simmering in his thoughts. Uh, he's been 
turning over and over again in his mind how the Syrians still have some of Israel's land. They've never gotten that land back. And Ahab's been thinking about that. Well, you'll remember back in chapter 20, verse 34, Benedict, who was leading the Syrians, he had promised to return that portion of the land. But he hadn't done it. When Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, goes to visit Ahab, Ahab tells him about this and says, Will you go with me? Will you, will you join with me and help me get the land back? Now again, folks, just remember, Israel at this point is a divided kingdom. Israel to the north, sometimes referred to as Samaria. Ahab's the king of Israel. Judah to the south. Ten tribes to the north, two to the south. And Jehoshaphat is the king over Judah. So for quite some time now, since chapter 12, Israel's been a divided kingdom between the north and the south. The southern king Judah, uh, the southern king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, goes up to visit his counterpart in the northern kingdom, Ahab. And while he's there, Ahab says, this is bothering me. Will you go with me? Will you join with me? And what's Jehoshaphat say? Well, in a show of solidarity, Jehoshaphat says, Sure, my people will be as your people. My horses as your horses. But let's first inquire of the Lord. Let's make sure God is in this. Smart, right? As we'll see, Jehoshaphat, to a great degree... Was, was a good king. But he'd already made a dangerous compromise. He had married his son off to Ahab's daughter. And why that was such a dangerous compromise is because Ahab and Jezebel worshipped Baal. Here's Jehoshaphat marrying off his son to Ahab's daughter. So even though he's a good king, Jehoshaphat, there's, there's some compromise going on. Uh, so when Ahab wants him to join in war with him against Syria, I guess it's one of those things where you do something for the sake of your son. For the sake of your son that's married into Ahab's family, sure, I'll join with you and go up and fight the Syrians. Uh, he should have never gotten himself in that sticky situation, but he did. But at least he wants to inquire of the Lord. Check mark in the good column, right? That's good. Seeking wisdom from God. Seeking wisdom from God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. James, in James 1, 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without finding fault. Jehoshaphat wants to know, is God going to be in this war? Because it is something that shouldn't be taken lightly. 
I mean, here's two nations about to join up and go to war against Syria. It's not a small issue. Uh, I want you to write down 2 Chronicles 17, uh, 3 through 10. In fact, let's just turn there right now. 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Verses 3 through 10. We'll, we'll get a little snapshot here of Jehoshaphat. Beginning there in verse 3 of chapter 17. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the bells, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to, to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and furthermore he took the high places and the Asherim out of Judah. In the third year of his reign he sent his officials, Ben-Hel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah, and with them the Levites, uh, Shemaiah, uh, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Ashahel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah. Hard name after hard name after hard name. <laughs> they, they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. So we would have to admit, that's a pretty good report of his life. Pretty good snapshot summary. If only he wouldn't have done the little compromises along the way. But you know, it's the small things that can trip us up in life, right? Have you ever noticed that? Small things can add up. Small little steps of obedience can really add up. Well... When Jehoshaphat says, let's ask of the Lord, Ahab calls for the court prophets. Uh, these are useless men. They're probably prophets that were on the king's payroll. Okay? These are professional prophets on the king's payroll. So what do you think they're going to say about Ahab? They're going to be yes men, right? They're prophets in name only. And they tell him just exactly what he wants to hear. Folks, what a sad state of affairs. Turn over to 2 Timothy with me, please. 2 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy... In 2 Timothy 4, 
2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What's Timothy to do? Reprove and rebuke as well as exhort. Paul's saying, Timothy, preach the word. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's judgment or promise, don't be some yes man who just tells people what they want to hear. And you know, fortunately, Jehoshaphat sees right through these 400, doesn't he? When they come on the scene, they prophesy. Uh, he just sees right through it. He sees that they're just a bunch of court prophets. They're a bunch of phonies. So he asks, is there not a true man of God around here? And Ahab says, yes, there's one, but I hate him because he never says anything good about me. What should that have told Ahab? indicative of what a lot of people want. They want somebody who just tells them what they want to hear. They want somebody to tickle their ears. They want a man of God who's going to simply endorse whatever they want to do. I think of Joel Osteen, who on Larry King Live said, he doesn't preach on sin. He doesn't preach on sin because people already feel bad enough as it is. I mean, there he was admitting, hey, I'm not going to preach on anything that's going to make people feel bad. That was out of his own mouth. <clears throat> you know, the land is filled and, and has been in every generation with feel-good doctors who just preach a lot of self-help, pop psychology, man-centered messages. It, it, it's sad. It, it's really sad. What's going on here uh, is nothing new. It's the way it's always been. Even back in Ahab's time, the court prophets were telling the king exactly what he wanted to hear. They were tickling his ears. But thank God for this one man who was willing to stand in the gap and be a true spokesman for God. If he says, thus says the Lord, it's only because God has spoken to him and given him that message. And look at what the phonies are doing while Micaiah is being summoned. Look at verse 11. Zedekiah, going through all this drama. Here are these 400 prophets telling the king to go. And here, here's this one getting these horns and this elaborate little, little drama going on. You're going to gore the enemy with these horns and all this. You know, they, boy, they got the drama going on too, don't they? 
<clears throat> Look at verse 13. What, what do you think they're trying to do there? Intimidate Micaiah, right? We're probably intended to see a little bit of threat behind these words. The messenger who went to, to get him said, now, now listen up, Micaiah. The rest of the prophets, they told Ahab to go. When you get before Ahab, you need to just go along. You need to, after all, these 400 have said that. You just need to be in agreement. Go along with them. Tell, tell the king to go. A little bit of a threat, probably. Well, fortunately, Micaiah can't be threatened and can't be bought. And so in verse 14, what's he declare? I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. If God says go, I'll say go. If he says don't go, I'll say don't go. You know, I'm, I'm only going to speak what God tells me to speak. That's all a true prophet can do. The message isn't his. It's God's message. Well, when he comes before the king, evidently what he says at first is probably a little sarcasm to the point that everybody just knows he's mocking the king. You know, oh, yeah, sure, king, sure. You know, you've heard these other 400. Yeah, yeah, just, just go ahead and go. Just go ahead and go. And Ahab's like, tell me the truth. So he does in verse 17. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep having no shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. So Ahab is going to die. He's not going to be around. Uh, Micaiah elaborates how it's going to happen in verses 19 to, to 23. He pictures this heavenly court in session. And the question goes forth in this heavenly council. Uh, somehow Ahab, you know, he needs to be enticed into war. And so a spirit, a celestial being, comes before God and tells God that he'll go and put a lie into the mouth of the prophets. And God says, go and you'll prevail. So what Micaiah is saying, this, this is what God has shown me. This is what's going to happen. And these 400 prophets, it's this lying spirit that God was going to allow to be put into their mouths. <clears throat> now, obviously, the prophets don't like hearing what Micaiah has just said, so Zedekiah steps forward and smacks him, strikes him. Micaiah's response is when the king is killed and everybody has to hide, including Zedekiah, he needs to remind himself in that day who it was that spoke the truth. Zedekiah would know that Micaiah has spoken the truth. Ahab has him placed in prison and just fed meager rations until this thing gets finished and Ahab returns. And of course, Micaiah says, well, if you do return safely, then God has not spoken through me. Because that's the test of a true prophet too, right? If what he says comes true. And Micaiah is wise enough to say, hey, you know, if you come back, Ahab, from the war, me prophesying you're going to be killed in battle, then obviously it wasn't the Lord that I was prophesying for. 
You know, a lot of these TV preachers get on TV and say, God said this and God said that. But they need to take a lesson from this, don't they? If God says it, it's going to happen. But they just throw God around flippantly. They go, oh, God told me this, God told me that. They better be careful. <clears throat> Again, Micaiah gets put in prison. And it's an indication that God's people will always be liked. Jesus said, Woe to you if all men speak well of you. He said in John 15, The world will hate you because it hated me before it hated you. And the servant is not greater than the master. <laughs> Folks, you want to be an enemy to people sometimes? Tell them God's word. Maybe you got a child or a grandchild. Maybe you got a sibling. It's wavered from the Lord, and you've been trying to tell them the word of the Lord. And they, they don't want to hear it. They just about despise you for it. But all you're doing is telling them what God's word says. Don't expect as Christians that everybody in the world, everybody at the workplace, you know, everybody in your family, everybody's always going to love you. They'll love you if you go along with everything. But if you take a stand for the Lord, they won't. Some of them won't. Anybody ever experienced that? My, can anybody relate to that tonight? Sure you can. Well, Reaping of the Lord. The second thing I want you to see tonight, beginning there in verse 29. Uh, three things really surprised me here. You know, Ahab must have really been dumb. Because what's he do? He goes ahead and goes into battle. Right? You would think Ahab would say, hmm, you know, I know what this prophet has just said. Maybe, maybe I don't want to go into battle just yet. You know, but no, he goes right on into battle. Uh, Jehoshaphat goes ahead and goes into battle with him. That one kind of surprises me. Ahab, and what's Ahab say to Jehoshaphat? You wear your kingly robes. I'm going to go in disguise. In disguise. Jehoshaphat should have said, Oh, wait a minute, Buster. Uh-uh. No way. I know what you're up to. You want Benadad and the Syrians to think I'm the king out here uh, that they're trying to kill because I'm going to have on all the priestly, uh, the kingly garments while you're in disguise. Jehoshaphat's kind of stupid too, isn't he? I mean, just think about it. Kings back then would, would wear their robes into battle as a way to get out front and rally their troops to courage. The, the king was leading them into battle. While it was an encouragement to the troops, it could also be pretty dangerous to a king. Well, the Syrians lock in on Jehoshaphat. <laughs> and he cries out, Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not Ahab, I'm not Ahab. 
So they turn aside from chasing after him. But ironically, notice how it says just at random. Underscore that. You, you think this is random? No, 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 no. This is the sovereign hand of God at work. At random, a guy just takes his bow and arrow and he fires it. And, and it hits Ahab between a couple of pieces of armor where he's exposed. Folks, there's nothing random about this. This is God's doing. You know, if you want a verse on the sovereignty of God, you can write out next to this verse, the sovereignty of God. A lot of verses in the Bible, you could talk about God's sovereignty. Boy, this is one. This so-called random arrow. What seems random to men is directed by God. And just as Elijah had said back in chapter 21, verse 19, the dogs licked up his blood. Folks, you don't play around with God's Word. It happened just as God said. Just as God said. Ahab's son comes to the throne. That's how the chapter ends. Verses 51 to 53. Ahaziah. And you know what? He is just as bad as his dad. The sins of the father are passed right on down to the son. He follows in his dad's footsteps. You know what? The tragedy here just shows that man's nature doesn't change. What, what we see here is a lot like what we read about in the book of Judges. That same cycle of sin and misery and judgment. It really shows the reality of what the Bible teaches about man's need of conversion. If man is to be converted and changed, it's got to be God who does it. Only God can truly change a man. Apart from God changing us, we're going to continue to do what others before us have done. We're going to sin. Just like our forefathers. Sin's a part of our nature. And that old sin cycle's going to be right there unless God changes a person. Some lessons I want to leave you with tonight. God's Word will prevail. We need to ask ourselves, what's our relationship to the Word of God? Have we listened to it? I mean really listened to it and obeyed it. Just, just think with me again about three men in this chapter and their relationship to the Word of God. First, there's Ahab. Ahab thinks he can scorn God's Word. He thinks he can deny it. He thinks he can put on a disguise and go ahead and do what he wants to do, and he ends up learning the hard way. He dies. 
Secondly, here's Micaiah. His life is a challenge to us to stay true to God's word, even at great cost. He was put in prison, but he remained true to the word of God. As you study the word of God, surely Micaiah, though he's mentioned very briefly in the Bible, he ought to rise to the top as one of the most respected characters in all of the Bible. He spoke only what God told him to speak. He spoke the truth. He didn't waver. Even when he was attacked for it, he didn't waver. Probably he's not on your list of heroes in the Bible, but he needs to be. Listed right there alongside of people like Abraham and Noah and Abraham and David and Paul and Simon Peter and others like them. Micaiah needs to be listed right in there with the great heroes of the Bible who put their life on the line for the Word of God, the truthfulness of the Word of God. And then the third man in this chapter, Jehoshaphat, he reminds us that we must be true to God's Word first and foremost and fight against compromise. Again, the testimony of Jehoshaphat is mostly good, but he made some dangerous alliances in his life, got himself involved in situations he, he should have never been into. I think his life is a reminder of how subtle the enemy is. The enemy can use all sorts of diversion tactics to even deceive God's people. And so we got to be on guard. we got to be willing to back up and say, you know, I'm not going to go with you into battle. God's not in this. I don't care if our children are married. God's not in this. So let Jehoshaphat be a warning to you of how subtle the enemy can be. Even when you're on the right track, how subtle the enemy can be. So again, lesson number one, God's Word will prevail. God's Word will prevail. What's that lesson say to the church today? I mean, look at what society's doing. And, and I'm convinced Christians in the future, we're going to be attacked more than ever before. But is God going to be true to His Word? Sure He is. You're going to go along with the culture? You're going to take a stand for God, even if it's hard. Second lesson, don't get caught up in following the majority. I don't know if you've noticed this, but just about every single time in the Bible, the majority was wrong. In fact, I don't think I can, I don't think a single instance comes to mind where the majority was right. Don't think something is right just because everybody says it's right. Look at people's character. Look at their commitment to Christ, their commitment to the Scripture. Before you join up with somebody and, you know, throw in the towel with them and do what they want you to do, what kind of person are they? Are they a person of 
faithfulness, of integrity? Do their lives demonstrate commitment to Christ? That's the kind of people you want to join up with. But unless people have demonstrated that kind of Christian character, don't be fooled just because there might be a lot of them. Just because it might be the majority. Don't go along with them just for the sake of numbers. A third lesson, seek God's will first. Jehoshaphat could have saved himself a lot of grief had he inquired of the Lord first before he ever makes this agreement with Ahab. If he would have just sought God's will first. How much trouble could you and I save ourselves if we would turn to God's word first? Before we make major life decisions, seek God first. Seek His will first. <clears throat> Any thoughts you have before I say more? You didn't tell us what point number two was. Read that to us. Oh, did I not? Was I, yeah, reaping of the Lord. Inquiring of the Lord and reaping of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I just have one thought about the Hearing God's word is not enough. Good point. He heard it. And went on We sit anyway. in church on Sunday. We hear it. Yeah. Doesn't do any good. Yeah. Great point. He heard what Micaiah said. And yet, for some strange reason here, he is going into battle with Ahab. He wanted to know God's Word. He wanted to hear it. But he didn't act on it. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too uh, the uh, part about disguising the things basically going to get away from God's prophecy. Yeah. So if he's incognito as a normal soldier, so God saw through that. And then God saw through the armor to find just the little white place in that area. You know, so yeah. there's no getting away from God. God's finger must have been on that arrow he's taking. He's directing it right where it needed to go. You what? Absolutely. Yes. Did you raise your hand, Carol? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, where the blood again did the the fulfillment of prophecy? What Ahab? Uh, what Ahab was told by Elijah? Where the dogs were going to lick up his blood. Exactly what was going to happen. And it happened precisely as God said. I think about the prophecies of Christ. 
person theologian saying that the odds of one person being able to deal those all these prophecies is like uh, one to the seventeenth power or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's an astronomical number. Yep. Anyone who knew all this whatever would know it's impossible. All the prophecies of the Old Testament about Christ that have already been fulfilled. Impossible odds that they would be fulfilled if, if it wasn't God doing it, that one person could fulfill all those prophecies. Uh, just impossible odds, unless it's God doing it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 